0: Hello everyone, this is Justin Nackpill again with the Road to Wealth podcast. I want to thank you for coming on today's episode and really hope that everyone's having a great Sunday and beginning of spring. On today's episode, I get a chance to talk to Jay Skinner from Slowly Sipping Coffee. I actually met Jay after I posted to Twitter around Those that hit the million dollar mark or seven figure mark. And on this episode, he shares his story around the validation and really the experience he had with money anxiety, even when he hit the million dollar status. We talk about how he got out of debt with his previous partner and how those experiences of living paycheck to paycheck was still a rooted, anxious moment that he carried, even when he hit the seven figure mark. I want to thank Jay for opening up and sharing his story. I really hope this. Uh, that this episode that you find something positive in this and i also want to thank you as a listener and if you could please rate and review this episode on your podcast player that would mean a lot to me if you feel this is also would benefit a friend feel free to share it as well you could reach out to me if you uh, if you want to engage i'm on twitter at road to wealth pod and also on instagram at road to wealth podcast and without further ado i want to introduce jay and let's get into our episode hello everyone welcome back to the road to wealth podcast this is justin knackpill and i actually have a new friend on the line today i have jay from oklahoma or you may know him as jay from slowly sipping coffee how are you doing today sir i'm doing
1: okay how about yourself
0: i'm doing great besides this you know back to snow here in chicago um i know jay you're in oklahoma so i don't know if you're having the same type of weather that we're having
1: Uh, yes, uh, most of it, what you're probably getting now moved through yesterday. And then we had all this sleet that melted just enough because the ground was warm to turn into ice. So today it's just now everything's ice covered. So good times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I hope this conversation
0: warms, you know, both of us up and, uh, the the listeners here and, uh, on today's episode, we're going to dive into, um, a brief conversation that Jay and I interacted with actually triggered from Twitter, and I put out there in the world uh, asking um, around, for those that hit the 1 million or uh, 7-digit net worth number, did you feel financially validated? And Jay had a really great response. Um, that we wanted to dive into, and it's around the topic of money scarcity and abundance. And we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but um, you know, I, I really wanted to bring Jay on to share his, you know, kind of his background and a little bit of story around this because I feel he has a lot of input. So hopefully, that's okay with you, man. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. Well, wh- let's do a quick intro. Let, uh, you know, not many. You know, I, I'm interested. You know, why don't you give a, a little background of who you are and um, you know what, what brought you to money.
1: Okay, well, um, yeah, my name's Jay Skinner. I'm at the, um, I blog occasionally at Slowly sipping Coffee um, and what goddess? Us- It got me into money more as uh, my ex-wife, to be perfectly honest, because we had both uh, started working in the oil industry. I was a geologist. uh, She was working as a geophysicist. And so we went from, you know, grad school salaries and um, lower kind of around 45K a year type salaries before both of us ended up going back for post grad work to all of a sudden, you know, making six figures and um, uh, the my ex had way more money uh, smarts than I did. And so when I came into the relationship, I mean, I had about 64K in uh, school loans and about 16 grand in credit card debt comp- and I don't know, maybe $1,300 in savings compared to her stockpile of about 40K in savings from a house, you know, a house sale and no debt other than that. (laughs) So it was pretty, pretty lopsided as far as that goes. Um, And then what brought us to the money aspect and into the kind of the finance world and wanting to start a blog was just general job unhappiness, Um, mostly on the part of my ex at this point, uh, because uh, she'd gotten into a position that she just wasn't super happy with and went from really enjoying her job to really not enjoying her job and started googling how can we retire early and how can we, you know, what can we do to get out of this a little bit faster? And honestly, that was it. She had stumbled across Mister Money's Must Mister Money Mustaches blog back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, maybe sometime in that timeframe and kept bringing up, hey, look, if we you know, we can save up enough money and then we can retire and keep our finances low, and you know, we can go for all. We could you know, kind of try and repeat his same type of formula, essentially. And so at first, I was resistant because I can just come in from being broke and paycheck to paycheck up until I got into the oil industry and started making more money and having somebody that could help manage it better than I was managing it yeah, the last thing I wanted to do was walk away from a really comfy job, really nice paycheck and that kind of security just to not work. Because I'm like, but I like this work. Why would we want to quit it? And so that that's the kind of short version of how we ended up getting into learning about investing, savings, the FIRE movement, uh, coming up with our own. We decided that Early retirement might not necessarily be the best thing for us, but we like the FI part of it. And so we came up with a fully funded lifestyle change. And essentially we're just wanting to yeah, hit uh, what everybody now is calling Coast FI to where um, if one of us wanted to keep working, we could live off of that salary. We would still have all of our savings and investments taken care of you know, prior to doing that and wouldn't necessarily have to worry about retirement savings at all. And that's how we ended up getting into the personal finance realm. And how long ago was this? Um, That was probably about 2010, 2011, maybe somewhere in that time frame. And then I started the blog about seven years ago now, I believe, six or seven years ago. That's awesome, Jay.
0: And um, first and foremost, congratulations for hitting that COSFI number. Um, for those that um, are unfamiliar with the whole term of FIRE, or we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but it, it represents something called financial independence, retire early. And for a lot of us money nerds and for folks that are trying to strive for their, their, their FIRE number, um, these are There's different methods in, in which you do, obviously having a high savings rate, um, but Jay is referring to Coast Fire where, um, I don't know, Jay, if you wanted to share with the listeners what Coast Fire specifically means.
1: Sure. Uh, so my understanding of the Coast FI or Coast Financial Independence is that essentially you have enough retirement savings saved up so that if you don't save anything else for retirement, you're still going to have whatever level of retirement you're comfortable with. So whether you want the 1.2 million at 65 and live off of that, or whether you want it to be 2 million or 5 million or 800,000, whatever that number is, you essentially have hit a point where you've saved up enough that, <clears throat> given you know the average returns or even less than average returns, is how I like to calculate it because I don't trust average returns. <laughs> I like to be more conservative in those kinds of estimates. But essentially, even as conservative as you want, that your uh, in retirement savings are going to be more than enough to you know get you into retirement and have whatever level of comfort retirement that you want. Again, whether you save any more towards retirement or not. Yeah, and
0: that's There's definitely, mine, huh? and that's definitely a hack for that we've talked a lot about, um, especially for those that, um, as you're saving, um, there is this little kind of cool off period where you know if you calculate your investments to today, and fast forward to the traditional age of sixty five, for example, you essentially hit your fire number without contributing one more dollar to your investments. Um, and, and Jay, do you mind sharing with the listeners how old you are?
1: Uh, I'm 44
0: and I'll be 45 this
1: year. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Um, well that that's great. Um, and, and, thank you for sharing that. I, I think, you know, con- congratulations, obviously hitting on, on this milestone and, um, you know, we're, we're gonna dive into, um, some of the, you know, kind of the, the black and white features of, you know, when you're gonna retire and everything like that. But for the core of this episode, uh, was around this whole aspect of scarcity and jumping into a, an abundance. You mentioned, Jay, there was a period of time when, when you started living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. How, one, how was that experience? And I, I know you were also dealing with, with the marriage at the time, um, but how did you work through that and to get to the point where you are today?
1: Um. Uh, well basically i'll start off by saying living paycheck to paycheck just sucks i mean it just 100 it how was that it was horrible <laughs> i don't i don't recommend it i mean um not that most people have a choice you know nobody's like you know what i want to do I want to live paycheck to paycheck and that's the lifestyle I'm going to choose, but it can tend to happen, whether it's through, you know, a medical emergency or a car emergency, you know, any kinds, any number of things can create a financial situation where you end up into, in that situation, um, especially if you don't have a big emergency savings. And so for me, I mean, I up until I was 30, I had pretty much lived that way. I would get a emergency, um, saving, save up, built up to a, you know, for me at the time is like a grand two thousand in the bank, and I'm like, okay, this is a good savings. This will cover me for a couple of months, and then something comes along like I break my collarbone and I can't work for ten weeks because. I worked in the kitchen and <clears throat> it's all heavy manual labor and I can't use the left, my left arm or shoulder or anything along those lines. And that wiped out savings and I would get it built back up a little bit and a car would break down because, you know, you just at that point, I wasn't necessarily able to afford a dependable vehicle. And so yeah, it, just, it would just have little things pop up here and there. And I also wasn't the best uh, steward of my money. So I was... Uh, guilty of the spending more than I earned. And while I didn't go super overboard with it, again, I did still have 16 grand in credit card debt. <laughs> and part of that uh, did come along knowing that I've got, yeah, like uh, my plan was to get out of that, break that cycle fee was um, essentially A, trying to rein in expenses and B, going back to grad school to increase my income. And my overall plan had been to get a master's in geology, to be able to get a better job, higher paying job. And once I got into uh, School of Mines, they've got a great track record and placement uh, program so that it's, unless you're just super unsociable and unpersonable, it's really easy <laughs> to find a job coming out of that school with a geology master's that pays well. And so especially through grad school, I that credit card debt cranked up quite a bit compared to what it had before, because before I didn't like having it that high, but it was still usually in the, between two to $3,000 credit card, uh, just revolving credit card debt that I had. And for me, I was okay with that, even though I'm paying interest on it and everything, as I just considered it as a cost of doing business or a cost of living as, as opposed to, oh, I should just get down to the scarcity, you know, like a super frugal mindset and be able to, you know, afford everything that I'm buying as opposed to, well, I'll just put it on the card and I'll pay that card down. And then I would start paying the other card down and the card that's empty starts getting charges on it and it starts coming back up. And essentially I just up going back and forth from one to the other or between two to three of them though. So, Um, Yeah, so that was kind of how I managed to get into that situation. And then once I got out of school, again, had it not been for um, my wife at the time, helping manage money and give me a better mindset towards, look, we need to spend less than we earn. I would have been that stereotypical person that's like, oh, I get a truck and a boat, and I would have spent all of that six-figure salary just as easily as it came in, (laughs) and I wouldn't be in this position. So fortunately, I chose well with a partner that helped manage the money a lot better. But for me, that was a big saving grace, honestly, is both of us having really good incomes. And then her attitude towards debt also was uh, she abhors debt. I mean, just to the point that um, we would have debates over paying off my student loans early because. Oh, this was back in the day when I got the rates locked in for under 1%, and I got them all consolidated into one and was paying less than a percent on interest rate for the whole lump sum. And I, I forget the exact amount, but I remembered I'd calculated out a couple of times, and if I'd paid taken the whole 30 years to pay off my student loans... It was maybe two grand in interest, twenty five hundred dollars, which is like a pittance for sixty-four grand worth of debt. And so my, you know, my point was, look, why don't we just pay this one off last? Because it's the least, you know, it's the lowest amount. We can, you know, we could just let it ride. Do we really need to pay it off? What's an extra two hundred dollar a month bill? you know, at this stage of our life, but no, I mean, within I think two years or maybe three years, both the credit card debt and the student loans were gone. And yeah, I mean, anytime we had any sort of a debt pop up whatsoever, even with the house debts, I, her main focus was trying to get all of that debt gone and paid off. And so, yep, yeah, again, just having a really good financial money manager as a partner for me helped out really well in that situation.
0: Yeah. And thanks for sharing that with, with that, Jay. I think the for all the couples listening, uh, whether to uh, combine finances, or operate, <laughs> I think, I, th- I think Jay's point is just, you know, work together as a team. So regardless of what systems you have in place, um, especially if there's a, a goal or different philosophies around money, I'm glad that you found that partner to do it. Um, one thing that uh, Jay and I talked about through our thread um, on Twitter as well was around uh, Jay's money anxiety. Can, can you
1: define what that means? Uh, for the audience jay sure um so for me the money i just i tend to get anxious whenever i think about money bills i have to deal with money um it seems odd you know i mean i guess a lot of people might have those uh same types of money anxieties um and for me i found out that it mostly came from not really having anything to do with money Uh, i had been talking with my therapist about it you know and It's one of those sessions where you just go off on a tangent and end up in a place that's really productive. Um, And I don't even remember how we started talking about money or money anxiety. But by the end of that session, I had come realize that, yeah, it really has almost nothing to do with the money aspect of it. And it's more rooted in um, kind of just a protective behavior, uh, so to speak. I had been reading a book called No Bad Parts. And it's a really great book for anybody out there that um, is looking for a book on just kind of how to get to know yourself better, learn yourself, uh, learn kind of the inner workings of yourself. But the main gist of that book is that you don't just have like your one brain um, control in everything. It's not like just this one little command center that sends out. Oh, here's, you know, be happy about this, be sad about that, be anxious about these, but it's really broken into different parts and you have helper parts and protector parts and supportive parts and you have all these different parts that come in even firefighter parts that kind of show up when uh, stuff hits the fan and goes sideways and you have to worry about, oh, how are we going to deal with this? This is a crisis mode. There are parts in your brain that you develop over your lifetime to come and deal with those. And for me, uh, the money anxiety was just more of a protective part because growing up, uh, money was pretty tight around our household. I mean, we lived paycheck to paycheck growing up. Uh, my dad was a lineman for the phone company for his whole career, and it was a decent salary. It, we lived a uh, fairly comfortable life. It could have been more comfortable, had managed his money better. But again, everything was paycheck to paycheck, and there would be times you come home and turn on the light, and there aren't lights, or you turn on the water, and there isn't water. And it all just comes down to, well, the bills didn't get paid. And for me, the money anxiety revolves around those instances of being in a situation where I don't have any control over being able to have the lights on or being able to have water on. And the people that are in charge didn't really seem to mind or care. It's like, okay, well, I can tell mom and dad, hey, the lights are off, except they're the ones that put us in that situation. (laughs) It's like they're very aware that the lights are off. And yeah, it just came down to a matter of um this protector part inside of me trying to get away from the fact where it's like it it's more of a feeling the anxiety comes around a feeling of tied around you don't matter as opposed to having anything to do with money, which just finding that out, oh my gosh, that was i mean that's been amazing for me because in the last month or so since i guess two months now since we had come across that revelation um my money anxiety has, Lessened considerably. I mean, I still get anxious and thinking about taxes. I, oh, I mean, I'm sure everybody gets the same. Everyone gets <laughs> with taxes.
0: Yeah, let's uh, be real. <laughs> Everyone gets uh, anxious when they think of the IRS and taxes here in the states, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. But yeah, the, but at least I don't go to the. I, it's like I don't go to the mailbox and open up the mail and I see the bills that show up every single month, like they show up and get this sinking pit in my stomach, which is ironic because it's not that I don't have the money to pay for it. It's not that there isn't money available available to pay for it. And I'm definitely not in the same mode of living paycheck to paycheck. Like, oh my gosh, this $160 bill just showed up. I've got $200 in my account for the next two weeks. How am I going to pay that and get gas and get groceries, which... You know, a lot of that anxiety was driven around money in the college days because I just overspent. And so <laughs> and I just mm. kept digging my hole deeper. But the core of it was more of around kind of what you were talking about before, that scarcity mindset of these are things that are out of my control. And instead of trying to do something to get them into my control, the anxiety was more the intern, one of the internal parts trying to just protect me from having something that's out of my control. So it's like, Hey, we'll get anxious and we'll just, instead of fight or flights, we'll pick flight and just run away from it or avoid it altogether. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a lot there, Jay. And thank you for, for sharing, <laughs> for, for sharing that. And I don't need that disparagingly because it's, mm. those moments are, are traumatic and, yep. um, you know, one other podcast that I want to plug, which is a, obviously a, a huge one, is uh, Ramit Sadie's um, podcast. And he has examples and interviews with couples that have $5 million, $8 million, $10 million of net worth, yet they still fight about blueberries or some, <laughs> some obscure <laughs> um, thing that they could obviously afford. But what he really hits on is this aspect of how those early traumatic money lessons and scarce backgrounds and examples, follow us into our adulthood. And as a 44 year old, you know, person now, how have you evolved in not only recognizing that you had anxiety, or have still trepidation of that or examples of that? um, How, how has that developed and moved on to even the, the thought of abundance?
1: Um, that's a great question. I mean, it's funny because even I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, but even as recently as just a couple of days ago, somebody else put out another question similar to yours about that. Why is it that I have, you know, I keep getting worried about a money scarcity, but yet I've got rental income property and I've got, you know, X amount of net worth and I've got a good income and all this stuff that's going on. I'm like, yes. I hear you. Yeah, I'm there with you, you know, and it's, and (laughs) so the moving on, um, it's slow because again, I've carried this around up until last fall, you know, October, November, before I realized, I mean, I always knew I had money anxiety, but I just never knew the root cause of it other than, oh, well, you know, we grew up poor and I just get stressed thinking I never want to go back to that situation again, or go back to that kind of lifestyle again and it's not even the lifestyle or the situation. It, it's most specifically the situation. But it's just that situation like I described earlier of mm-hmm. you flip a switch and the lights aren't there or you turn the faucet and water is not there. But that's, you know, I have to keep reminding myself you're not in that situation. You know, it's like I have money in the bank. I have net worth to where, okay, even if I just have to do the... Uh, to take a 10% penalty as opposed to, you know, any raw drawdown or whatever, there are funds available. <laughs> like, I don't need to be worried about these kinds of things. And it's really hard to get that protector part of me to say, oh, no, this is something we should be worried about to quiet down. And it, I mean, it is quieting down some and around some aspects, but it's still very new and very fresh for me to be able to be like, that's what the issue was for me. And this is how I can work forward and move kind of move on past that. But one thing I realized that I did get triggered with a lot is like I'd mentioned before, just going to the mailbox and getting bills to show up that are monthly bills that always show up. And so uh, post-divorce when I'm handling my own finances, I just set up everything to be a recurring payment online, and I only have two bills, maybe three bills that show up in actual paper form and all the rest I just get an email about and they say, here's how much your gas bill is going to be, we're going to debit it out of your account on this day, here's how much your electric and water and trash bill is and we'll take it out on this today. I don't get any anxiety over any of those, but oddly enough, if I go and I pick up the two or three that come in the mail, it's like I pick those up and I just get that little sinking part in my stomach where it's like, Oh, it's this bill. And then it's like, well, dummy, you've got money to pay this bill. Why are you stressed? <laughs> and I just have to be uh, brutally honest with myself and just be like, come on, moron. You can did this. Uh, why are you worried about this? You know, like you don't have to worry about this right now, you know, it's so, yes, for me, it's still a little bit of a struggle, but it's at least started to move in the right direction.
0: Yeah. And I I think one question as you were talking, Jay, um, because protection was a very big part, if I'm hearing you correctly, to absolve yourself around your anxiety. Do you feel like gaining self-control for yourself was one step toward to either feeling valid or getting out of that scarcity?
1: Uh, yes, uh, yep, yeah, I would say 100%. Um, well, first, gaining the self-control and having control of my uh, of money and my money <clears throat> and being the sole person in charge of my money, uh, at very first, it freaked me out because I was like, oh my gosh, and I just felt like I was in a car doing 200 miles an hour in heavy traffic and I've got to somehow weave through it all and I can't slow down and like, oh, this is going to end badly, very badly. And that was how I felt about it at first. And I had to just go back and, you know, reassure myself um, that it's like, dude, you've spent the last five, six years blogging about money, blogging about investments, tracking spending, you know, doing all of these different things. Uh, Reading other people's blogs, reading, oh my gosh, so much research, as I'm sure you find out, have found out is like starting a blog or a podcast and then you get out there and you start um, getting into everybody else's material that's also blogging or putting out podcasts and you just start consuming so much or at least for me in my instance, I just started consuming so much material that after about three or four years, I honestly was like, Bing, okay, that's good. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've got it. You know, at least for where we were in our journey. Cause I didn't need to get into drawdown strategies and I didn't need to get into any of that stuff because we still had a long time before we were even going to think about doing any of that. And so a lot of it was just, um, having all of these kind of internal conversations with myself to remind myself that it's like, Hey, you're better with money. Like quit saying you're bad with money because you're better with money than you think you're not the same person that you were, you know, from zero to 30 or 15 to 30 that handled your funds so horribly, you know, and (laughs) just spent more than I earned and was okay with carrying credit card debt and was okay with having other kinds of debts. Like, Honestly, debt doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, I, like, it doesn't, it's funny. It's like I have money anxiety about paying bills and those kinds of things. But if I have debt or if I had a credit card balance of, say, two grand or three grand, yeah, zero anxiety about that whatsoever. <laughs> and so it's where it's like, yeah, it's not really about the money it, it's, you know, as much as it is about just the different aspects of how those bills affected my life. And then how that would trigger me internally with the money anxiety. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah. yeah. No. Thank, th- thanks for that, Jay. sorry to interrupt there. Um,
1: no, no.
0: I, I think th- there's a lot of folks out there, and even conversations we've had within you know the financial independence movement, our peers online. I know you've you've gone to uh, retreats and uh, things like Camp FI. Um, there's also FinCon that's out there too. Um, have you noticed a similar type of dialogue with
1: you know, folks that you've talked to money about? Um, you know, actually, yeah. Yes. Because yes. when I was talking about, um, I was speaking at one of the Camp FIs in Colorado Springs, and um, I brought up that aspect of money anxiety. And somewhere near the, towards the end of the talk, and I was just talking about, oh, yeah, I still get money anxiety. And, and this was very early on in the divorce. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm freaked out, but now I have access to all this money. And, you know, what am I going to do with it? And how badly can I mess this up? And like, that's where I start from is, oh, not what positive thing can I do with this? What positive takeaway can I have with being in control of my money? But I came at it from a negative standpoint of, oh, how badly am I going to mess this up? And when, after my talk was over and people were asking questions, um, JD Roth brought up the fact that he also has money anxiety and he, his point was that his also stemmed from growing up in a money scarcity environment and with parents that were not very good with money. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I under, yeah, I hear you. Because he's like, and it's funny because he's in a much better position than I am financially. And both of us are still sitting there just like, oh, God, money. Yeah, I, I get really anxious about having to deal with it, even though <laughs> neither one of us are in that same spot we were. That triggered that whole money anxiety, you know, to begin with. But yeah, and some other people had mentioned similar types of feelings that they also got money anxiety. But again, it's different person to person and different types of money. It's like some people get really anxious if they have any debts, with my ex-wife being one of those, like she didn't really have any money anxiety around buying, spending, any of that sort of thing. But any kind of a debt load, oh my gosh, she just wanted it gone as soon as possible because that's what triggered her anxiety is just owing money to anybody. So yeah, I would say it's definitely out there, but it's also very personal to whomever's experiencing that money anxiety. And my money anxiety might be different from somebody else's and different from someone else's. Yeah.
0: And it's funny too, because you know I grew up knowing that you know, money was more of a, a black and white thing, right? It was just more so. These are the, <clears throat> these are the numbers. Here's the math behind it, right? But after having these conversations with folks like yourself, Jay, money is more about emotion. Money is more about psychology, and you know, thank you for sharing a lot. A lot of this. I mean, do, do you feel like your relationship with money has changed?
1: Um, definitely. I mean, again, this whole revelation of where my money anxiety came from is still fairly new. So I'm still working through addressing that and incorporating more positive aspects into my life. But just going from where I was as a single person up until I was 30, and then now as a single person for the last, I guess, two years, and in charge of my own finances, I am way more comfortable with and more confident in myself with making big money decisions like where am i going to get some money from the savings you know like from well i say savings but it's really just a, <laughs> it's assets and it's a matter of do i want to tap the liquid assets you know that are in vanguard that are just regular brokerage account type things and Or do I want to tap an IRA and pull some money out of that instead? And, you know, and it's like, and I just am having these conversations with myself as opposed to like, oh my gosh, where am I going to get money to live on? And I need a job and I need to, you know, do all of these things. And it's funny because I haven't, I I still haven't replaced the income to the level where I have enough income to cover my bills and cover my living expenses. So I definitely need to, um, uh, what do you call that? Uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the word supplement. I definitely need to supplement the little income that I have right now (laughs) with tapping into savings. And as of the end of this month, um, yeah, it'll be a year that I haven't had a W-2 job. And at first part of me is like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a year. And then there's another part of me that's like, oh, if I go another two months without getting a real job, then I'll gone a whole year without W-2 work. And like, look, this is working. And maybe I could just keep making this work. And so now I'm into more analyzing drawdown type strategies. And how can I go about making this work? And yeah, I mean, everything from there was a great post by Go Curry Cracker back in, I think, 2016, maybe, but essentially just analyzing even if you take the 10% penalty from your 401k, if you didn't, you know, because again, we weren't planning on drawing down anything until 59 and a half. So why would we start making a backdoor Roth IRA ladder mm-hmm. or a bond ladder or any of those types of things that were definitely in our plan for? You know, when we started to draw down, but it's like, yeah, divorce will really mess up your plans. (laughs) And so I kind of just got thrust into it and it's like, hmm, I don't have as much Roth savings set up as I'd like, and I don't have this to go and I don't have. it. So, yeah, so trying to figure out how to access those funds pre 59 and a half in the best way possible is something that I've been looking into recently and surprisingly, there's like little anxiety to no anxiety about it all. It's just more of a yeah, just trying to be more positive with myself and being confident with myself. That's you know, like you can do this, you've got this. <laughs> and I love the growth, Jay, because yeah, you
0: know, I think what we talked about was you know, regardless of you know where you began with you know feeling insecure around money, and you know, again, like. To, you had no idea when the lights were going to turn off or um, the water. You're now at this position now where
1: you have choice. Yep. So. Yeah, that's a great, great way to put it because, yeah, just having the freedom of having a choice. I mean, that's like talking about the living paycheck to paycheck. When I was was talking about, yeah, I don't want to go to that lifestyle again. I mean. The biggest anxiety driver there was just the lack of choice. I didn't have the choice of getting a higher income job at that point because I didn't have enough education to go get a better paying job and I didn't have access to better paying jobs. And I could have probably found a little bit better paying jobs, but regardless, like I said, even if I had gotten into the oil industry as a single person, oh my gosh, I would have not... My debt would still be just as high or worse than it is or was back then because until I fixed my self-control and discipline around money and attitude with money, oh, yeah, I would have just spent the heck out of it and been like, let's go stimulate the economy. you know. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, we joked about that a little bit, just because it was back in that we started uh, those jobs in 2008, right before everything crashed, and then 2009, and know going through that sort of economic depression in those times and yet we just started jobs and we had really good incomes and and so we got we would we would make that joke a bit hey let's go stimulate the economy and go hit target or go out to eat or do this or do that you know but i mean seriously i would have just spent every penny that came in more likely than not so (laughs) it's not always about increasing your income if you don't know how to handle your money to begin with
0: well Thank you for sharing, Jay. I, I I appreciate you taking us through that journey, and I certainly hope that you're you're, you're obviously in a better place. You know, not only from a financial position uh, hitting coast five, uh, but you know alleviating a lot of these uh, initial money anxiety uh, pieces. So, thank you for sharing with the team, uh, and 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 the, and the listeners. So, um, we're gonna step into the lightning round questions, if that's okay with you, my friend. Um, so I got a few questions for you. Um. And you, for those that are listening, there's there's some mix up here. So uh, Jay, in your budget, if you have one or you're spending plan monthly, what's one item or category that you are cheap
1: on? Oh, man, a category that I'm cheap on. That's a good one. Mm, it's like the opposite of what do you splurge on? Because I'm like, what am I cheap on? Um, I would say probably food. Okay. Um, Especially since I'm, it's pretty much just me um, that I cook for the majority of the time, then yeah, I don't really mind if I get almost everything that I have comes from Walmart and it's almost all name, not name brand. It's their, you know, the great value brand or those types of brands. But I have to caveat that with, they've also done really well in the last few years of stepping up and having all kinds of better options. So instead of get like, for instance, bread, I could get a loaf of white bread for, I don't know, a dollar and some change, or they've got their own version of multi-grain breads, all kinds of different breads, sourdough, rice, like artisan quality type breads, and they're a whole dollar eighty-eight. And I'm like, done, and, you know, <laughs> and it's good. It's, you know, but yeah, so if I can find places like that where instead of you know spending like four or five bucks on a loaf of bread of the oh that guy with the guitar on it, that like those types of breads, you know, um yeah it's like and I might get, you know, crucified by some other people, but yeah, Walmart's actually stepped up in a lot of ways with their organic offerings and all their other kinds of offerings to where you can get a lot better quality food, but still keep the Walmart prices on it. So yeah, that, okay. for me, that I'd say that's probably about it. <laughs> okay. No, I love it. Uh,
0: the second question is actually, uh, the opposite. So in your budget or spending plan, Jay, what do you spend
1: extravagantly on? Um extra experiences um like i have no problem dropping a few hundred bucks to get on a plane to go somewhere to see a band for a concert or get in the car and road trip somewhere to go see a concert or to hang you know i was texting with a couple of friends of mine and found out they were planning a uh, canoe trip up to the Uh, border. Oh God, what are those called? All the lakes up in Northern Wisconsin, Michigan, that area, the, along the border of Canada. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah. And I was just like, Awesome. What time are you guys going? How long are we going to be there? You know, can I hop in? I can bring it, you know? And so, yeah, it's like it went from a Saturday where I didn't have any plans going on at the end of August to all of a sudden now it's like I've got the week-long canoe trip and back it kind of trip with those guys. And we hadn't done anything like that in a while. So, Yeah experiences anything that's gonna concerts especially going to see it like I noticed Dan Cummins was coming to Bricktown he's one of my favorite comedians uh well my favorite alive comedians but yeah and I love his pod his podcast called Time Suck and I'm like oh my gosh you're gonna be 30 minutes away from where I am yes I want to get tickets for that and I want to go to that so yeah experiences I have no problem spending money
0: on okay cool um, I got two more questions for you, Jay. Um, okay. What is the biggest financial
1: lesson that you've learned? Um, the biggest financial financial I'm gonna put it in two parts. is one, um, don't spend more than you make, which it sounds easy. It's everybody says it. It doesn't seem like it should be a hard lesson, but I mean, it took me until I was forty. 43 to really get that driven home because yeah I totally spent more than I made up until (laughs) that when I had to control over my own finances so that was the biggest one and the second one was the like post-divorce don't make any big financial decisions just off off the cuff like just don't do anything on a whim Uh, because I had I mean and I had plans and but I had made a A fairly sizable drawdown from my assets early on after the divorce. And then maybe six months, well, actually it's only about two months later or so, then uh, COVID's around. And it's like, this isn't going to take too long to work out. And then two years later, here we are, and it's still working it out. And I'm just like, man, I could have left half of the amount that I took out of those savings in there and still been perfectly fine because I didn't really have anything entrepreneurial to put it towards, you know, cause it's like, well, no, I don't want to start any type of a food service business in the middle of a pandemic. And I don't want to start this type of, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. like what plans I had for the money totally got changed. So yeah, just make sure to research all possibilities of how things could go wrong and don't limit yourself to cutting out black swan events, like a global pandemic. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um, And the last question I have for you, Jay, what advice do you tell your 20-year-old self?
1: Um, Don't stop. I mean, and I'll I'll say it this way, is that I had a plan from, well, when I was 20, my plan changed because I was in college and I wasn't sure why I was in college because I'd spent two years as undeclared and it was amazing it was fun some of the best classes I got to take but I was just taking all kinds of stuff like intro to folklore and sociology and journalism and you know fun exciting sort of classes as opposed to whatever I needed to get a degree And so I went hiking to try and figure out, do I want to be in college? If I want to be in college, why do I want to be in college? And if I don't want to go to college, what career am I going to do that doesn't need a college degree? And my plan was, I want to go to college and started with environmental science and morphed into geology. And my ultimate goal was to get a graduate degree from Colorado School of Mines. And it was this plan, which granted took you know, until I was 30 for all that to come to fruition. But I just remember my 20 year old self thinking, man, I'm gonna be in college forever. And look, I could quit this and go get a job at the phone company for 65 grand a year starting and I could be making 80 or so a year. And like, that's perfectly fine. And my dad was just like, no, you're not doing that. No, nope. don't get, don't take the easy route. Just stick to your plan. Just And so, yeah, so for my 20-year-old self, it would just be like, stick to the plan and don't stop, you know, yeah, just keep working your plan and, <laughs> That would, that would be it. Other than maybe like, Hey, learn to not spend more than you make, but <laughs> goes back to the biggest financial lesson. <laughs> right. But short of that, it was just, it would be, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing because it's going to work out.
0: Yeah. I love that. Jay. Um, well with that, uh, in closing, why don't, uh, if people want to reach out to you, how, how, how do they, you know, get in touch with you and, uh, you know, where they can find the blog.
1: Um, it can find the blog at slowly sipping uh, just all spelled out, no spaces. Um, I'm on Twitter as at Coffee Sippers. And that's pretty much it. I'm like, I do my best to stay off Instagram. I think I have an Instagram account for an Etsy shop and it just withers on the vine. But short of that, I'm pretty much, it's pretty much just the blog and Twitter. So gotcha. Okay,
0: cool. Well, Jay, thank you for, uh, for coming on the podcast. I, I'm greatly appreciative. And thank you again for sharing. Um, I'll put all your information in the show notes. And with that, appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Okay. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking about this. So.